The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. In all of this, you'll see the details of your own story. The story of a life well-crafted. Welcome to the House of Roll. The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my Populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. My life is not about making problems. My life has always been about trying to solve them. Boy, have we got plenty of problems in Washington and Sacramento. And what frustrates me is that nobody seems to be making the effort to solve them. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. But you know what? Today is Father's Day. So if you're a dad or a grandpa... Happy Father's Day. I hope you have a wonderful day. And I promise you, if you are the parent of a teenager, that they do love you, and someday they will talk to you again. But you may have to wait till they're closer to 20. In the meanwhile, to all those bewildered fathers who think their daughters now see them as just the bank in the limo, a fixture in the house like the couch or the toaster, or a man, the enemy of the truly woke 21st century woman. It's not you, Daddy. It's them. A recent NBC News story reports that daughters today are angry, really angry. These are dads wondering what happened to their sugar plum fairy, their cute little sweetie, that little girl in her crinoline who came running down the Sidewalk when you came home from work like you were a conquering hero. Well, what's happened is not a new phenomena. When I was young, we used to call it raging hormones. What's happening is they move out of that cocoon and they start to blossom into women. And so there is a, you know, changing of, uh, of the, the roles between parents. But what is raging now that was different than when you and I were young is social media. Our kids, with that instrument in their hand, and I do, you know, have members of my family who I think we may have to operate to remove it. Um, Do you know that chiropractors are, are pointing out that the large part growth in their practices is teenagers who have pain in the shoulder and neck And their problem is normally based on the amount of time that the phone is in their hand. And they're looking down. Anyway, what has changed in the fabric of the process of a a child growing into a woman is that there is this now this thing called social media, a constant stream of contact 
that's being projected at our daughters and at our sons as well. Not in the living room in front of the communal TV where parental input could be offered. No, now they're in their bedrooms. And what they're doing is holding this very powerful instrument in their hands and beamed at them by thousands of well-intentioned and maybe not so well-intentioned self-appointed experts on everything that they should be aggrieved about. NBC, in its story, reports that teenagers today are more amorphously anxious than prior generations. Teens are concerned about everything from health and social relationships to climate change, poverty, and politics. But adding to those topics for young women specifically are concerns about hashtag me too. The recriminalization of girls and women who seek safe abortion and the very visible actions of a misogynist in the White House. Well, if NBC really cared about any of these issues in a thoughtful and and progressive and proactive way, they would research them instead of hyping them up. So hashtag me too was overdue. Bringing sexual harassment out into the open was a wonderful thing. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. But now we need to figure out how to go forward in a constructive way within large and small organizations in terms of how men and women work together and socialize together and behave appropriately. But we don't need social media to tell us that. We need our parents and our peers, and our teachers, if we're teenage girls, to tell us those things. People who we know and respect. It shouldn't be coming from the amorphous, ethereal, online world of whatever. The only thing, when it, and when it comes to the, to anti, to the abortion issue, abortions have been declining significantly in the United States over the last several decades, especially teen pregnancy. You know, one thing we've done a good job of as parents and as educators is helping kids to understand their sexuality and how to control it. We've also produced medication for the oops moments. We've, and, and we have, as we've integrated new immigrant populations into the middle class, we've opened avenues for these people, for these young girls that make them not want to be moms at 17. So that situation statistically is absolutely going in the right direction. So this spat of anti-abortion legislation in the southern states doesn't put a woman's right to choose at risk. What it does is it puts the future of the GOP as a viable national party at risk. You know, are we the party, as the Republican Party, the party of vengeful white men over 40? I mean, that's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. I mean, there is, there is folks, a law on the books in Alabama that requires a woman who was raped and carried the child. That rapist has visitation rights. I mean, the absurdity of that, if you stop and think about it, is that that, that is 
That is men hating women. That a legislature would pass a law like that, and that's law that needs to be overturned. You can't continue to victimize the victim in what is criminal act. I mean, rape is not about sex. Rape is about power. Think about that, you white, you, you, you white male, over 40, you know, over your belt buckle, white males in Southern legislatures. And let me give you one more tip. Roe v. Wade, as President Bush said in 2004 in a debate with Kerry, was it, yeah, in a debate with Kerry, Roe v. Wade is settled law. Can't we just move on? Well, Roe v. Wade is settled law. Kavanaugh and Gorsuch both said that. They both are fathers of daughters. Okay? Do you think that they are going to say to one of their daughters, too bad that you got raped, honey, but my strict constructionist view says the co- of the Constitution says that you must suffer further assault on your body by carrying the rapist's baby. That's a great Kavanaugh impression. Well... If you really believe that that Kavanaugh would do that, (laughs) you are truly delusional. It's just not going to happen. Okay, I understand that the 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 concept of settled law, but technically there is no law against abortion. It's just a it's just a a precedent, right? No court case. No, there are state laws. There there are state laws. Um, that vary in terms of how you can have an abortion, all right? What Roe v. Wade guaranteed was that a woman had a right to privacy, a right to control the her own body, um, and that she could not be forced under that right of privacy guaranteed by the Constitution to carry a pregnancy that she, you know, didn't um, want to carry. Um, And then that is reaffirmed in the Kennedy decision. And so in the construct of English common law, when a precedent has been depended on in further cases, and Kennedy is, is the precedent for several other Supreme Court rulings, that that precedent has the force of legislation. And that's been true since the glorious revolution of the 1600s. You know, what abortion is, 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 is painful, um, personal, a difficult decision for most women to make. But God, you know, the law settled, but the politics around it, how it rouses a, a, the fringes every four years, it makes the issue out of size. And so if you're the dad of a teenager, I beg you, talk to her or at least try to. And, and rest assured that the values that you taught her about her worth will come back at some point. It's a little like swimming. And oh, by the way, a little, you know, self-defense training is not a bad thing for America's youth. And, and spyware. We'll be- Put spyware on your kids' phones so you can snoop on them and see what they're looking at. Oh, you know, the funny part is in our family, the snooping goes the other way. And I will be back in just a moment to talk further about how as a nation we should be offended by our own indifference.
You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. And you know, this week we saw a spectacle in the United States Congress that I think is worthy um, of, I mean, it's like something out of a movie that's worthy of listening to in its entirety, and that's John Stewart's opening statement at the 9-11 Victims um, Compensation Fund Reauthorization Subcommittee hearing. Yeah, a lot of the committee members didn't show up because they had other things to do than to talk to people who were dying of cancer because they were part of the um, first response to 9-11 the five-second response of first of first responders, uh, 354 of them died that day, um, and thousands and thousands more. And, you know, it is not all the government's fault. Yes, the EPA made mistakes. The EPA didn't really know how, I mean, it took a time before we understood how much toxicity there was in the air. And the, and, and the entire response of the federal government initially was to care for the injured and, um, and, and the deceased and to try to bring uh, calm as we tried to figure out what had happened um, and what our next steps forward should be. And so there were mistakes made by the government, okay, in terms of air quality, et cetera. Um, there are people who are suffering uh, today who have suffered since 9-11, who have died since 9-11 of illnesses caused by the toxicity of the pile um, and the air around it. Um, And you know what? These people deserve, this is not a New York problem. It was the United States of America that was attacked. Washington was attacked as well as New York. So when Republican members of the staff of the of the subcommittee say, oh, it's it's truly tragic, but it's a New York problem. No, it's a United States of America problem. And that kind of attitude is in a fa- in fact why we're going to listen to John Stewart in his entirety and why what concerns me is not just the fact that he shamed the United States Congress. He shamed the United States Congress, I'm going to repeat that, into extending the 9-11 fund to 2090 for the rest of the century. I mean, that's a remarkable accomplishment for, you know, and, and both because, yes, he had to shame them. So we should remember that. But also because it points to the strength. Yes, John Stewart's a celebrity. But it points to the strength that an individual can bring to solving problems in the United States, to being his brother's keeper. And so let's take a couple of minutes to listen to John Stewart in his own words, because he said it better than I ever could. Uh, as I sit here today, I can't help but think what an incredible metaphor this room is for the entire process that getting health care and benefits for 9-11 first responders has come to. Behind me, a filled room 
of 9-11 first responders and in front of me, a nearly empty Congress. Sick and dying, they brought themselves down here to speak to no one. It's shameful. It's an embarrassment to the country and it is a stain on this institution. And you should be ashamed of yourselves for those that aren't here, but you won't be because accountability doesn't appear to be something that occurs in this chamber. We don't want to be here. Lou doesn't want to be here. None of these people want to be here, but they are, and they're not here for themselves. They're here to continue fighting for what's right. Lou's going to go back for his 69th chemo. The great Ray Pfeiffer would come down here, his body riddled with cancer and pain, where he couldn't walk. And the disrespect shown to him and to the other lobbyists on this bill is utterly unacceptable. You know, I used to get, I, I, would, I would be so angry at the latest injustice that's done to these men and women. And, uh, you know, another business card thrown our way uh, as a way of, of shooing us away, like children trick-or-treating rather than the heroes that they are and will always be. Ray would say, calm down, Johnny, calm down. I got all the cards I need. And he would tap his pocket where he kept the prayer cards. 343 firefighters. The official FDNY response time to 9-11 was five seconds. Five seconds. That's how long it took for FDNY, for NYPD, for Port Authority, for EMS, to respond to an urgent need from the public. Five seconds. Hundreds died in an instant. Thousands more poured in to continue to fight for their brothers and sisters. The breathing problem started almost immediately, and they were told they weren't sick, they were crazy. And then, as the illnesses got worse, and things became more apparent, well, okay, you're sick, but it's not from the pile. And then, when the science became irrefutable, okay, it's the pile, but this is a New York issue. I don't know if we have the money. And I'm sorry if I sound angry and undiplomatic, but I'm angry, and you should be too, and they're all angry as well, and they have every justification to be that way. There is not a person here, there is not an empty chair on that stage that didn't tweet out, never forget the heroes of 9-11, never forget their bravery, never forget what they did, what they gave to this country. Well, here they are. And where are they? And it would be one thing if their callous indifference and rank hypocrisy were benign, but it's not. Your indifference costs these men and women their most valuable commodity, time. It's the one thing they're running out of. This should be flipped. This hearing should be flipped. These men and women should be up on that stage and Congress should be down here answering their questions as to why this is so damn hard and takes so damn long and why no matter what they get, something's always pulled back and they got to come back. Mr. Johnson, you, you, you made a point earlier and it was one that we have heard over and over again in these halls and I, I, I couldn't help but to answer to it, which was 
He said, look, you know, you guys are obviously heroes and 9-11 was a big deal, but, you know, we have a lot of stuff here to do. And, uh, you know, we got to make sure there's money for a variety of uh, uh, disasters, hurricanes and tornadoes. But this wasn't a hurricane. And this wasn't a tornado. And by the way, that's your job anyway. We can't fund these programs. You can. Setting aside that no American in this country should face financial ruin because of uh, uh, a health issue. Certainly 9-11 first responders shouldn't have to decide whether to live or to have a place to live. And the idea that you can only give them five more years of the VCF because you're not quite sure what's going to happen five years from now. Well, I can tell you, I'm pretty sure what's going to happen five years from now. More of these men and women are going to get sick and they are going to die. And I am awfully tired of hearing that it's a, a 9-11 New York issue. Al-Qaeda didn't shout death to Tribeca. They attacked America and these men and women and their response to it is what brought our country back. It's what gave a reeling nation a solid foundation to stand back upon, to remind us of why this country is great, of why this country is worth fighting for. And you are ignoring them. And you can end it tomorrow. Why this bill isn't unanimous consent and a standalone issue is beyond my comprehension. And I have yet to hear a reasonable explanation for why. It'll get stuck in some transportation bill or some appropriations bill and get sent over to the Senate where a certain someone from the Senate will use it as a political football to get themselves maybe another new import tax on petroleum. Because that's what happened to us in 2015. And we won't allow it to happen again. Thank God for people like John Feel. Thank God for people like Ray Pfeiffer. Thank God for all of these people who will not let it happen. They responded in five seconds. They did their jobs with courage, grace, tenacity, humility. 18 years later, do yours. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk some more about that. Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. You know, John Stewart's passion is un- unmistakable, but his frustration goes far deeper than even the 9-11 community. It goes to the heart of 99% of us just walk around in this consumer-driven economy, you know, with our fancy phones and so on and so forth, um, and say, gimme, what are you going to do for me, Uncle Sam? Oh, I didn't think my tax uh, um, refund was big enough. Oh, it took too long to get through the TSA line. Oh, Blah, blah, blah. But when something goes wrong, okay, most of the time you're out doing your little consumer thing, you're on your phone, you're going with friends, whatever. But when something goes wrong, you want to know why it took. The first responders didn't get there fast enough. We didn't, you know, we're, we're, we've got people deployed in 
on every continent, you know, people, soldiers, sailors, Marines, Air Force, men and women, deployed on every continent and a lot of big islands around the world. And their job is to be there to defend your right to walk around saying, well, I wouldn't go in the Army. Well, that's true. You don't have to go in the Army anymore. They've, they've abolished uh, the draft. But, you know, here's what you do owe. You owe, this nation owes, a, in, every individual in this nation. And if you're an immigrant, you owe it even more. It's not about you. It's about them. That 1%, that thin blue and camouflage line that protect all of us. And what do we treat them with? At best, indifference. They're an inconvenience. We see a lot more on television about police inappropriate behavior than we do about the 154 police officers who were killed in the line of duty last year, 54 of them by gunfire. That's 10 more than the year before. And we're approaching a new record already this year. It's where the media likes to focus, not on the sacrifice, not on the service, but on the anomaly. And that offends me as an American. It offends me as someone who has had members of my family serve. We're not asking for anything special. Luckily, nobody got hurt. But, you know, it's been six years since the VA scandal broke out. And despite that huge outcry, despite, you know, a shot of new money um, and, and a decision to let some veterans seek some outside care because they couldn't get care from the VA, the VA is failing in its three basic missions still, starting with veterans' health care, including urgent mental health care. Why is it? How can you, as a citizen, go off and enjoy your Father's Day sales knowing that 22 members of the United States military, active and retired, will kill themselves today? I can't feel indifferent about that. I'm horrified by that. I'm angry about that. I'm angry that there are 50,000 veterans on average per year who are homeless because you can't get healthy if you don't have a home. And I wrote a blog about five years ago about how we could fix that problem in Southern California where it's particularly acute. And that blog is five years old. It's on reimagineamerica.org. You can go find it. Um, And you know what? It's as true today as it was five years ago. And if you think that doesn't outrage me, it does. If it doesn't, if you think that doesn't take my, my Silicon Valley, you know, new generation every 18 months Intel trained brain and make it go out of control, you're, you're missing the point. So um, we do need to go and, and take a break and try to get caught up. And we're going to talk a little bit about the, the upper, the, the, upper and lower cards on the Democratic primary, but I do want you to think. I mean, I I want you to think about what I've just said. How much do we ignore what we owe? 
how do we allow companies like Google to say, we, we don't want to do, we don't want to provide our, our artificial intelligence um, skills to DARPA, to defense-oriented, American defense-oriented programs. That, you know, we're, we're, we're above that. We're global. But they will work with the Chinese in highly restricted environments. And so um, just think about it, folks. Thank that cop on the beat when, next time you see him. That, that person puts his life or her life on the line for you every day. When you see a soldier, sailor, marine, it's, you, you need to take the time to recognize they put their life on the line every day for you. And it's your obligation as a taxpayer and a citizen to demand, demand that Congress get its backside in the chair and get to the bottom of what's wrong at the VA and fix it. And yeah, I wrote about that years ago too. And it's on Reimagine America. Go read it. You might find that there's I'm, there's nothing crazy about it. Um, I think there are some great ideas. We just got to find the right person to execute them. Um, and we'll be back in just a moment to talk with you a little bit about um, the Democrats, the undercard, and the overcard. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. Well, you know what? The Democrats have set their first presidential debate. I mean, (laughs) wait a minute, guys. We are now... Six and a half months away from the first, almost seven months away, because it's late in January, from the first caucuses in Iowa. One, Iowa is not representative of the United States. Two, neither is New Hampshire. Three, well, in South Carolina, we get a little bit. But why is everybody ignoring that after those three plus Nevada comes the big Megilla, us, Nobody's paid attention yet to the fact that California will vote early in the primary season this year, and we have the most prizes to award. But I I don't know about you. I'm not looking forward. Four hours of, of Democratic midgets um, on the debate stage trying to get bigger. I mean, I would wheedle this field down significantly to those who have any kind of reasonable shot at the presidency, not all of whom are even going to be on that stage. But let's start at the top, okay? If you think that was an over, the over undercards were drawn by lot, if you think that that is a random assortment, there's a very creaky old bridge in the Yukon and I can sell it to you for a really good price. That is the most rigged set of um, political aspirants on the stage um, by whatever name. So I have a lot of different sorts that I would have used. Um, but I love the Democrats. De Blasio, 
who has a 28% approval rate in New York City. Uh, in other words, he has no chance. Um, a, this is a delusional effort on his part. It's going to be on the stage, but Steve Bullock, who is the popular, reelected, and very successful governor of Montana, is not because he waited to get into the race until mid-May when he had completed his legislative session. In other words, he did the job he's being paid for before he started running for the next one. And for that, he's being penalized by his fellow Democrats. Okay. Um, also because, you know, he's a, a really rational person with good ideas. So Joe Biden is probably still going to be the top gun, but he has a really good chance of being wounded in this spray. It's not going to be a fray. It's going to be a spray. So I wonder if the Democrats really realize that they can lose 2020 by the continued use of political, the continued action called political malpractice. Should a party that is so out of tune with with middle America actually be thought capable of leadership that involves sacrifice and not candy canes? And we've got a caller who wants to talk with us a little bit about the Democratic field. Yes, the caller is Marianne, and she is a Joe Biden supporter. Go ahead, Marianne. Hello, I'm Marianne Segalengindue. I uh, support uh, Joe Biden, and I am with French chapter for Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. And and you and I have communicated on Twitter. Um, and, I, I am MS Jindwe on Twitter. Yep. And um, and and like you, I think of that field. Joe Biden is probably um, a good choice. Yes. I, I think I think Hickenlooper might be a good choice. If you have the courage, to, I, if you have the co- courage to come to San Francisco, he's he was a pretty popular governor of an important state. But if you have the courage to come to San Francisco at the Democratic Convention in San Francisco and say that socialism is not in fashion in the United States, you are a man of courage, conviction, and 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 you're pretty smart. You have a good sense of what really is going on in America. But like you, I think Joe Biden is, uh, at this moment, most likely to be to become the Democratic nominee. Yes, I support Joe Biden because uh, he's uh, the best uh, against Trump. Uh, he's, uh, he finds uh, his word uh, uh, against Trump. He has a, a great policy and uh, I love the I love Hillary Clinton and I'm a French chapter. Well, um, I I think that's um, I I I see the connection uh, between Biden and and Hillary Clinton. I think Joe Biden is a very different type of politician. He's the opposite of Hillary Clinton, and and I'm going to say this as kindly as I can. Hillary Clinton, as a woman, okay. Um, Failed, failed to come out and, and actually ask for. She spent so much time up trying to appeal to the various coalitions within the Democratic Party that she forgot to ask the majority of Democrats for their vote. And I think that hurt her. Um, I don't think Joe Biden would make that same mistake. 
But I have to say that I'm very concerned um, that um, that the strongest candidate in the Democratic field is a man who would be 78 years old entering the White House. I mean, we all have we all have tinsel limits, um, and so if Biden is the candidate the Democrats choose. Um, and polling says he would run very well against Donald Trump. I think a lot depends on who he chose as his vice president, because that person would have to be presidential. I uh, I love uh, the diversity in uh, the Democrats. I w- I was uh, to the Cory Booker's meeting. I. Uh, I was in the journals uh, many times. Mm-hmm. Well, see, I'm I'm one of those lucky people. I have no party preference. Um, but I'm a long student of American history, and so I want a president who has vision, who can unite us, who around that vision, and who is capable of telling us the truth, that a $22 trillion national debt is not sustainable, that we need to quickly reform our entitlement programs so that we can continue them, and that we got to stop saying everybody can have everything for free and somebody else is going to pay for it, because that's not true, okay? And so I'm not... I'm not concerned as much in the next contest as to whether we elect a Democrat, a Republican, or somebody from the Alliance Party or an independent, et cetera, is that we have someone who actually has a vision and can say, I'm going to put all these plans into place in order to achieve that vision. And, and I really do appreciate your time and that you took the time to call us this morning. But we got to go run, take a quick commercial break, and we've got a few closing thoughts. Thank you so much, Marianne. I appreciate your, you. take Thank your you. call. I Thanks. follow you on Twitter. Thanks. I know you do. Thanks. I have a quick question. Sure. Uh, you said something about the two debate nights being like, one's kind of lopsided or something like that like what's the i'm looking at the the two nights right now and it looks like it's mixed up pretty well like there's are you kidding me well you got uh biden and sanders or the or yeah biden Biden, sanders and Buttigieg and um kamala harris kirsten gillibrand and and so you have uh, Kirsten is down at the at the far end. Andrew Yang, the Yang Gang is going to be in effect. Well, the Yang Gang is, you know, I'm I'm talking about who has a realistic chance of actually ending up as the nominee. And and on the second night you have the majority of those bunched together. You have all of the fun all of the the undercard on the first night with Warren. All right? Being the only one with with reasonable poll numbers to be on that stage. Okay, and then you have uh, Gabbard and and De Blasio and Delaney, who's been running for two and a half years and barely has one percent. And Eric Swalwell, the 37 year old dad of two toddlers from Dublin, California, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's ready to be president of the United States. He's, we, he's a knight, too. I'm just saying, why are they? Why, why do people who have 1% support end up on the stage when you could give people who have some reasonable chance um, more time in a, in a smaller field? And the criteria will get tougher. That's my worry for Steve Bullock, who I really like. I think he's really a great candidate. Um, he's a centrist. He's a guy who has a vision. Um, he's practical. You know, this country is, uh, the, the polls are very clear. Um, 58% of Americans do not want socialism. And, <clears throat> and so if you run a Warren or a Sanders, et cetera, you guarantee that Trump gets four more years. Give him a mandate in the second one and watch what happens. Yeah, but you you know these are just polls, early polling. Like after the after the first two nights of the debates, the polls will will change. And no, they won't. They'll solidify because here's what's going to happen: in a two hour debate with ten people on the on the the uh, stage, and if you get named by name, you get a chance to respond. Okay, so if that happens, the majority of respondents will get between five and seven 60-second opportunities to open their mouth. So unless you have really got a clairvoyant message, you're just going to either, um, uh, shall we say, um, solidify your, your own base support, okay, or you're going to lose some of that support because somebody else is going to look more attractive, right? You're not going to gain huge national recognition. That You get that from earned media and on-the-ground activities. All right. We got to go to a break. All right. We'll go take a break and have some closing thoughts. Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we've only got about two and a half minutes. So let me give you one more interesting statistic from that same polling um, that came out of Pew this week. And that said that 60% of Americans do not want to see an impeachment trial of Donald Trump. That same 60% believe that the uh, Justice Department is wrong and that it should be possible to indict and convict a sitting president, which of course would eliminate, you know, eliminates the need for the political impeachment. People are uncomfortable about the politics of impeachment, but they have a very clear vision that that the president of the United States is not above the law. I just found that interesting. Next week, Mark Krikorian will be joining us again, and we're going to talk about the new Democratic DACA plan. And plus, what do you do when 1% of the total population of the Northern Triangle is storming the U.S. border monthly? What are going to be the consequences of that? On the 30th of June, right after the Democrats have had their chance to give you candy canes, 
Dr. Robert Pearl will be with us to talk about the various one-minute synopsis of health care plans that you heard, um, all of which are somewhere between improbable and impossible to achieve. Um, and that includes, we're also going to talk about the president's new plan, which I hate to tell you, was Obama's plan as well. So <clears throat> we've got a int- summer of interesting guests coming up for both our radio and on ricochet.com. Uh, we hope that you'll be a regular visitor at Ricochet, which is a national podcast network focusing on presenting of various center-right political thinkers and center-right solutions. And we hope that you'll be regular listen- listeners there as we support explore topics in depth in addition to our radio programming and and my blog and in the meantime i hope you dads all have a great father's day if you've got a comment or a topic you'd like me to cover joyce at reimagineamerica.org or tweet me at joyce cordy or reimagine america radio we're independent and nonprofit. if you enjoy our independent voice please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org. Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word, and you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.